when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Sari Delamont here, the attorney whisperer with you, talking today about the real reason for issue-oriented voir dire. So if you're new to me or don't have the book or just need a refresher, here's what we're talking about. Issue-oriented voir dire is when you actually talk about the issues in your case, but in a very specific way. If you've ever heard me speak before, you or again, have read the book, you know that I talk about really that every single communication situation of any type falls into one of two buckets. We either have an issue that we're dealing with or we are tending to the relationship. Now, most of you have been trained in relationship-oriented communication, have you not? I mean, you've been trained that you need to go in and try to create relationships with jurors. And the problem with this is when, what we're trying to do, particularly the whole premise of my book of moving jurors from hostage to hero is to increase permission with them slowly over time. And permission is just a way of saying how receptive they are. So we want them more and more receptive as we continue throughout trial to the fact, to the point where they get so receptive and so open that they are willing to take action for you and your client. Now, the number one way to gain permission with jurors or anyone else is to meet them where they are. And so even though you have been trained to create relationship with jurors, I'm going to ask you what bucket are jurors in when they enter the courtroom? They are in the issue bucket, right? They are not there because they want to have a relationship with you. Relationship does not serve them, at least at the beginning. And so they want to know, why am I here and what do I have to do, which is all issue-oriented communication. So here's the problem. I'm going to go into this a little deeper. And the reason I'm doing this, this episode is because I've seen so many of you love the concept of issue-oriented voir dire, and yet you are getting it wrong. And here's, here's what I mean by that. You are taking the concept of issue-oriented voir dire and you are using that to talk about your case specifics and getting into details and evidence and facts and keeping jurors in their cognitive place and really missing some opportunities to have what I call resonant conversations, which is what the next podcast episode is all going to be on. So I'm not going to talk about that too much here. And, and, and the problem with that, with kind of keeping your wadir so focused on the issues in your case is that one, you don't get good information because we just talk about um, the, the jurors' experiences, which again, I'll talk more about that in just a minute and again in the next podcast episode. But you can also get in trouble with the judge and be objected to because you're going too deep into this. So 
This episode is for those of you who are just gelling on this method and you're just loving it, but you want some clarity and you want me to get a little bit more clear. And and quite frankly, I wish I had been more clear in the book when it came to what I really mean by issue-oriented voir dire and more specifically, what's the real reason for issue-oriented voir dire? So let's talk about what it's really for, because I think that's going to help you quite a bit get some clarity around this process. So as I just mentioned, the first reason why I created or helped my clients create issue-oriented voir dire is because it meets jurors where they are. They don't want to be asked what their hobbies are or what their passions are or what books they've been reading. They feel that that's a waste of time, at least at the beginning. Now, you've heard me say, either here on the podcast or when you've worked with me, that there's a time for that, um, particularly in the damages portion of your voir dire, to get into jurors' hobbies and interests and passions and so on and so forth. But as a quote-unquote icebreaker, it rarely works because you are mismatching with the jury. They are in issue mode and you are attempting to force them into the relationship bucket. Jurors, their permission increases with them when you get to the point and you start with, here's what we're here to do and here's what we're here to talk about. So that's the That's the first reason why I suggest you create what I call an issue-oriented voir dire. Now, before we go any further, let's talk about, for those of you who don't know or don't have the book, what an issue-oriented voir dire is. Okay, so let me actually define that for you. So the way that cr- we create an issue-oriented voir dire is I always ask my attorneys first off, what are the fears in the case? Meaning, what is the, what is it that you have to overcome in this case? And I'll get a, a various list of things, defense arguments, things that keep you up at night, um, issues with the plaintiff themselves, so on and so forth. Here's all the problems in the case. And so the next thing that we do is we create what we would call the ideal juror profile, meaning what would an ideal juror think or believe about these things, these things on my fears list, to no longer have them be a fear? So for example, if um, one of your fears is that lawsuits are a drain on society and increase our insurance rates, one of the things that you may have on your list for your ideal juror profile of what you hope that it Uh, or what you would want in an ideal juror, is that they believe that lawsuits are a way to hold people accountable, or they believe lawsuits are a perfectly fine way to, um, to figure out a dispute or decide a dispute. Those are the things that you would want on that list. All right, so when we're talking about issue-oriented voir dire, we start with our issues in our case, all right, the things that scare us, our fears, and then we think about the things that we hope jurors think about that, and then we design questions around how to ask them whether or not they believe those things. So that's the issue-oriented voir dire. We start with the case and what the issues are and what questions we would need to ask to find out what jurors believed about that. And that's really the second reason why this issue-oriented voir dire uh, is what I suggest. First, jurors are in the issue bucket. And second, it helps us find our ideal juror, which juror really 
represents not just the ideal juror, but the ideal group eventually once we form them. So that's the other reason our, our issue-oriented voir dire is what I suggest because it really helps you get clear on the type of juror that you're looking for where hobbies and passions and things like that really don't help you in that way. It just gets the jurors talking, maybe. Um, I, I doubt that. <laughs> I think it pisses most jurors off when we start that way because they feel it's a waste of their time. But in general, the issue-oriented voir dire helps you just even creating it, get a clear sense of who you're looking for and what kind of beliefs and uh, positions you want them holding. Now, here is really where this goes off the rails, is that once you create the issue-oriented voir dire, you tend to stay in the issue where it's, what it's really designed to do, the real reason for the issue-oriented voir dire, is to have you start with the issue, but then drill down to the principle in your case. Now, if you go back several podcast episodes, um, you'll hear or you'll find one that says, and you might want to listen to that one. You may even want to pause this and go back and listen to that one first if you haven't already, which is how about the case is never about your client. And that's really an episode all about, <clears throat> excuse me, the principle in your case and the principles that we can all rally around and the kind of world that we want to live in as human beings. So for example, we start with the issue in your case and then we drill down and we figure out what the principle is. So let's say that you have a slip and fall, okay? And so in a slip and fall case, I would say that the majority of people, unless they are an outlier, <laughs> would agree that, you know, stores, for example, hospitals, places where the public congregate, casinos, I work with a lot of Nevada attorneys, love you, my guys, if you guys are listening, and gals, um, most people would agree that that store owners should be on the lookout for trip hazards, right? That's just the responsibility of being a store owner, Okay. But here's the, the issue is that in most of those cases, what's really at play is not so much whether people believe that store owners have some responsibility to keep their premises clear of trip hazards. It's when they knew what they knew. Okay. So there, there becomes now this this kind of divide where some jurors are saying, look, yeah, they should, they should make sure there's no, they should be... Um, keeping their their premises clear of trip hazards but you know shit happens and they don't always know about these things and you can't go suing for every little thing and other jurors will say listen they have to be proactive they can't just just be uh alerted to a trip hazard they need to like make sure that the trip hazards don't happen in the beginning they need to have people that are walking around and monitoring they need to make sure that they set up displays in a certain way so they don't create trip hazards now notice how we start to get now into the principle and the belief and the principle here being one of proactiveness Okay, and so they're going to be really clear lines now divided around whether store owners or casino owners or business owners or people who run hospitals should be proactive when it comes to safety of their patrons. And now you can get into some really rich material around some analogies. Where else is it important to be proactive? And, and you can get into some um, common sayings like better safe than sorry. And, and where would we play with this? And you start to broaden it and have a larger scope. And that 
always gets you deeper into beliefs of jurors and principles of the kind of world we want to live in and why it's important to be proactive versus should store owners make sure they don't have any trip hazards? Do you see the difference? When I'm talking about this with, with my, my clients in terms of Wadir, I always say, think about it as a funnel. So at the top of that funnel is the experience of the jurors or, or you know, kind of like the issue that got us here. Like who here has ever been to a hospital? Who here has ever um, visited a casino? Uh, that kind of thing. But what we're really attempting to do is work our way down to the pinpoint of the funnel at the bottom. That's where the principle lies. So yes, we may start with an experience or an issue, okay? So the issue being um, trip hazards and the experience being the juror's experience with trip hazards or their experience of being at the particular setting or location that we're talking about. But what we're really working toward is to get down to the bottom of that funnel when we talk about, in this case, for example, proactivity. How, how, how important is it to be proactive? Is that something you believe is important? That, my friends, is the real point of the issue-oriented voir dire. Because what I see happening is that you get so invested in the issues that you just swirl at the top of that funnel. You just stay in the experience and the issue, and we never learn anything real. And you risk getting in trouble with your judge or with opposing counsel because you're spending too much time on the issues or the evidence or the facts in your case, where what I have attempted to do, and maybe have not done it well, is suggest that the issue is where we begin so that we can dive down to the principle. The issue is the doorway, my friends. That's what gets us to the principle. There is always a principle behind any issue in your case. And if you go back and you listen to that podcast I just mentioned, the one about how it's never about your client, your case is never about your client. I should have these numbers ready, but I never do when I'm podcasting to give you episode numbers. Go to um, From Hostage to Hero um, on iTunes or on our website, sorrydlm.com, and you can search for it. But (coughs) excuse me, I've had this cough that I can't shake for a while. I know it's not coronavirus, at least I hope not. Um, not to make light of that, but man, I just hope not because this cough's been hanging on. Um, if you go back, you can listen to how to find the principle in, the, in your case. There's many ways. One way is to do the five questions method, right? So you ask yourself um, or you make a statement like, you know, um, hospitals should avoid trip hazards. And then you say, why? Well, because people could get hurt. And you say, well, why is that important? And you say, because people who come to hospitals are already compromised and they could be hurt more than even someone else. Well, why is that important? Well, because we assume that a hospital is about safety and they're not, they're not there to hurt people. They're there to heal people. And now we start to get to principles. You see, as we continue to ask the whys, you can go beyond five. I think I only did four there. We start to get a, a beyond trip hazard to hospitals are there to heal people, not hurt them. Do you see how rich that is? Do you see how we could play with that? And yet when I watch Voidir with many of you, you guys swirl around. How many of you have been in a hospital? And, you know, what do you think about trip hazards? And and it just stays stagnant and dry. And we never get to the actual principles in the case, which is what are hospitals for? What do we assume about hospitals? Why is that important to be able to assume that? 
And now we start getting to the real principle in the case. Because here's the next thing I want you to think about when we're, when we're talking about the issue-oriented wadir and what it's really for, is that once you have that principle, you can now form the group around that. And you know how much I, I care about and talk about group formation, how important it is, because what the what you're doing or what the jury's going to have to do is a group activity. It is not an individual activity, right? So forming them gives them the gift of each other and helps them do their job behind closed doors when you're not there. Well, people rarely, I wouldn't say rarely, but even if then if they do, it, it's almost always around the principle. People, I was going to say rarely form around shared experiences. They sh- they form around shared principles, right? So even if they form around or or connect around a shared experience, it's because of what that experience meant. It's not about the experience itself. So when you get jurors talking about deeper things, about the principle behind your case, rather than the issue, the group is more likely to form because now we're talking about, as you've heard me say before, the kind of world we want to live in. Now we're talking about the values that matter to all humans. Principles are called principles for a reason. It means that across the board, they are true and just. And nearly everyone believes in them. Again, as Stephen Covey said, you, can, uh, you can't break principles. You can break yourself against principles, but principles cannot be broken, like the principles of fairness or accountability or responsibility. So once you find the principle in your case, then the group is more likely to form. So it's another benefit of this. And again, what we're trying to do is use the issue to get at a juror's experience so that we can drop into the principle and have a really resonant, juicy conversation around that. So that's the point. That's the reason for the issue-oriented wadir. It is not so that you can talk about the facts in your case, right? Because the facts in your case really are pretty boring (laughs) on their own. There's no fact pattern that I find incredibly um, invigorating, engaging, and neither do jurors. It's always about what those facts mean. It's the meaning. It's the principles that have been, that, that have been, or at least we've attempted to violate. It's the values that we hold as a society. And every single case from slip and fall to car crashes to wrongful death, they all have principles and values that the defense is trying to piss all over. And when you can find those, that's where this gets good. And so you find them by starting with your fears, which brings us to the issues, which brings us to the things we hope jurors believe, which then brings us to the principles. The issue oriented my wadir, my friends, is not about talking about case facts in wadir. It's about meeting jurors where they are and using the issues in your case to get at the principles. That's what it's for. So do not take my book or my advice or my my term, issue oriented voir dire, as a, a chance for you to try to talk about your case in voir dire. It's so much bigger than that. You're missing the point if that's what you're doing. And if you're constantly swirling around up at the top of the funnel in the experiential range, we're not going to learn a lot. And you'll know why when you listen to the next episode, which is all about resonant conversations. Because that's really, once we get into principles, that's where every good thing happens. So issue is a way to open the door. It is not the entire building, okay? That's what I want to point out. 
Alrighty. Well, if you have enjoyed this episode, give us a review at iTunes or Spotify. And if you've read the book or are reading the book and you're enjoying it, please give us a review at Trial Guide. So I'm going to continue to ask you for that until I meet my goal, my friends. Help me meet my goal. I podcast for free for you because I enjoy it and because I want to help. So help me out as well. If you're interested in working with me, I've only got, I think, three or four slots left for all of 2020. Um, at this recording, and I don't think you'll even get this for another month, so maybe less at that point. And uh, all of our studio classes are are almost sold out. I think we have two that are that aren't. Um, so we have like literally under I think under ten seats available for all of 2020. Check out sorrydlm.com to find out what studio seats are available for opening and voir dire. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks, my friends. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today, and until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.